Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Specifically, welcome to IC News. This is the opinion editorial arm uh, of Investing in Cannabis, which has been doing great founder and investor interviews since 2015. Uh, great episode today. We're going to jump into a few hot topics. We have Sam Edwards, uh, who works for a big fund, really does all the due diligence. He's a previous cultivation consultant, real sharp dude. He's the guy that Eric and I call when we have a real technical question. Uh, we we get into vaping, the overestimated data in cannabis, a bunch of other really fun topics. He's just a fun guy, makes you laugh. Uh, I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Just a couple housekeeping notes before we jump into the episode. Uh, I'm proud to say, I'm happy to announce uh, that producer Eric and I, as well as the show, uh, are moving to LA. And so starting October 1st, we'll be based in Venice. Uh, and so if you have a friend or a company or a really sharp founder that you think should be on the show, or you just have some ideas of what we'd like, uh, what you'd like to, to cover in LA, please let us know. You know how to get a hold of us. Uh, in addition to the show, it also means that our consulting group, Balanced Advisor, is headed to LA. If you're in the Bay Area or anywhere else, you can still work with us. But if you're in LA and you want some particular help with something, raising money, marketing materials, sales strategy, all the great stuff that we do, uh, please let us know. We're going to be in West LA now, and we're really looking forward to meeting you uh, and catching up. And we're really excited for the audience because we think it's going to be a great new change uh, for the show. Lots of new stories, lots of more learnings. I'm excited, guys. Stick with us as we move to LA. All right, let's get into IC News with Sam Edwards. Let's get started. Fuck you people on Instagram land. We do this for the podcasters anyway. Those are right. the real people listening anyway. I'm going to turn this music off. And um, so the idea is basically like we need editorial. We need opinion in the world. And there's a lot of news releases, a lot of PR, brand promotion, but very little editorial, very little opinion. So I obviously have an opinion, which everyone knows are like assholes. Everybody has them. But I also happen to know that you have a big opinion too. Yeah. I don't know about your asshole, but yeah, <laughs> it's probably pretty big. Let's, let's be honest. Probably pretty big. So um, yeah, we're going to talk about yeah. some topics. Um, tell them who you are. Tell them who you are a little bit. Uh, my name is Sam Edwards. Um, I... Uh, had a cannabis company previously. Um, I've been in the cannabis industry for, well, since I started growing plants in my dorm room in college, almost 10 years now. Um, and now I, I uh, work for uh, investment uh, groups and consulting and operate. Are we allowed to say their name? Is that kosher or no? Um, I think we'll see later on in the show, see depending how it on goes. my opinion. Anyway, we have a lot of money. <laughs> They have a lot of money. Sam is really downplaying himself. He's highly knowledgeable. He's the person that we call when we have a real technical question. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess a little, a little more. Uh, I've judged the Emerald Cup for four years. I've grown acres of cannabis, thousands of pounds, smoked hundreds of pounds. <laughs> no, but uh, no, <laughs> now I operate a uh, cannabis brand portfolio. Nice. Yeah. I like that. How many brands in that portfolio? Just three. Just three. Yeah, right now. And are they flowers? What What's the makeup of them? Flower heavy. Flower heavy. <laughs> yeah. Indoor, outdoor? 
through the supply chain. Yeah. There's, Everything. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I have a, I have a specific uh, uh, thesis on 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 cannabis investing, uh, we, and you know, we can get there maybe at yeah. the end. Yeah. Let's yeah. save the gems for yeah. for yeah. last. So Sam and I had a couple ideas, a couple topics in mind before we started. These are hopefully things that resonate with you. Um, let's start with what's really top of mind. It was also the last IC News episode about vaping. The headlines are insane. There's only been six people that have died so far. And when you compare that, as I did last week, to all the other crazy vices and how many people die, half a million here, yeah, half I, a million there. What do you make of this vaping nonsense? Um, it is, you know, I, I understand why we need to talk about it, but in my opinion, it's like a non-issue. Um, you know, I listened to your last episode and um, I'm, you know, personal responsibility, libertarian leaning when it comes to whatever you put in your body. You know, it's like the people that are smoking these black market vapes wherever they are in Memphis, Tennessee or someplace, it's like they're probably eating McDonald's every day too. Like, you know, number one killer in America is heart disease. You know, it's like, I just, you know, the only thing when it comes to the vapes, vape side is that like, if there's one good thing that comes out of it, it means that nobody's going to buy, no dispensary buyers are going to buy cut vapes. Mm -hmm. Cut vapes aren't really going to be a thing. And distillate, I mean, distillate price is going to tank even further. So like, you know, real, you know, quality, 100% cannabis oil, sauce, you know, that kind of stuff is going to, is going to thrive. Unfortunately, it's going to get dragged down in the mess too, though. It seems like it was all vitamin E. Like you put vitamin E in a vape and it kills you. Is that the, I mean, there's that, um, there's vitamin E, but I mean, man, like, you know, Michael Butanol, you know, with Eagle 20, I mean, that stuff was rife, you know, back in the day. And like, it's, I, I'm sure it still is on the black market and, and that stuff's like, you know, when you, when you combust it, it produces hydrogen cyanide, you know I mean? That's, and you're inhaling that. I mean, it's, yeah. gnarly, it's gnarly, you know? I think the point is it's a much more delicate process than most people realize. Yeah. Like extracts is not a game. Yeah. And like the people that do it well, we had um, Chris of Level on recently, yep. just like one of the highest science minds we yep. have. Paul of chemistry, who yep. we're, we're sucking on some chemistry vape pens today. Um, just, just, Upper level stuff. Oh like, yeah, oh yeah. I remember when uh, I had my closed loop system, my uh, CO two machine, and I couldn't find it. And I, when the CO two market tanked, late late twenty seventeen, I went to sell it, and I was like, I don't even know anybody qualified to sell it to. I mean, it's like, you know, the level that you need to, you know, pay attention to, and when you're doing that, I mean, it's just, it is definitely serious. But the problem is now all these super qualified, great brands yeah. are having to play crisis management because they're getting all these negative headlines. It just seems so unfair. It, it, it so is unfair. unfair. One thing that's interesting to look at, right, is like when the market data came out from from California for 2018, and granted 2018 was a crazy year for California cannabis and the July one deadline and all this stuff. If you've been paying attention to this podcast, you already know all this stuff. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Unless you're uh, like not dead. Yeah or, yeah, or you don't read any market reports. Again, I hope you're not investing if you don't at least read those. Do you know but, the Sarah Palin? You remember the Sarah Palin quote where they asked her what do you like to read? Oh, yeah, And she right. said that's a tough question. Right. I think it's good. Kirk said, yeah. not if you read. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, so what's crazy is like, it was like Colorado last year had like 9% of market share was vapes, right? And California was 32%. And I was like, damn, like I expected it to be more, but like I didn't know it was going to be literally almost like, you know, 
times as much, you know what I mean? And then when you look at it, why that came out, you could, so lifestyle things, you could say, you know, there's a lot of factors around that in the sense that, you know, when I looked at it and peeled that onion back, I was like, okay, you know, Colorado has a bunch of people from all over other areas that are coming in and buying flowers. That overly inflates flower percentage, a lot less tourists. Like when you're a tourist, you come to some place, you don't know where to smoke, you can't smoke in your hotel, you can't do this, you, you hit a vape pen. Yep. You can't just buy a pre-roll and blaze it up anywhere and you're in a foreign place that you don't know. Well, I think most people, like, they don't have the luxury of smoking a big joint. That's For true. For whatever reason. Yeah. You know, their, their government, yep. their parents, their kids, yep. whatever. Like, they just can't just be open. Yeah. So, like, when I look at California with 240 million tourists a year, I looked at that and I was like, okay. That's look a at, big number. That's monstrous. Did you research that number? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's interesting. And it's like... So when you look at that as far as a buyer demographic, they're buying vape pens and they can't get those vape pens for wherever they come from to either. So it's an, it's a novelty, it's an, you know, it's this whole aspect. So when you look at that, it, it, it I think that what's going to happen face, you know, I thought I saw the MJ Biz Daily report yesterday about how vapes are, you know, trending down because of this whole vape crisis and I, I Did don't, you say you comment like 10% or something? It, yeah, like I don't that? remember the exact number it was, but it was, it, you lot. know, it was a lot month over month. And at the end of the day, it's really just that like it's going to get brought down from that 32%. I'm sure it's somewhat, especially as we can, as California market takes more away from the black market. Um, but it's not going to go away. Vape pens are great. Vape pens are awesome. I just think it's going to move to more stuff like full spectrum, you know, and, and, and sauce. I think it's like a lot of the, I won't name names, but a lot of the um, shitty low priced vape carts are going to go away. See, but I think that's the really interesting question is, is the cannabis consumer willing to pay more for the full spectrum? Like, do, okay. do they know the quality? So, I didn't say they pay more. I think what sucks about it is that these, that those carts, those carts are going to go off the market because the buyers, the dispensaries, because of the the insurance and liability issues that you cannot file bankruptcy out of with a cannabis business. Those issues mean that basically that full spectrum oil needs to come down and meet that level. Now it won't be single source and it won't be high terpene, but it will be all original 100% amber CO2 oil. What do you no, think about no this? Cu no cut. This single strain discussion. Does that matter? I wish it did. I wish it mattered. Me too. Um, I, I don't think, you know, it's like, and I won't mention a name either, but there's an investment group that's focused heavily on, um, on you know, aspirational hospitality of cannabis. And um, I think that 20 years from now, that's probably an amazing strategy. Um, right now, I don't, you know, I look at, you know, when I look at the annual value of their target customer and the EBITDA that's thrown off from that, I'm extremely unimpressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, Eric and I were talking about this today. Sexy businesses generally don't do very well. Everybody that I know that's in a sexy business also has another business where they actually make money. Yeah. Like, and yeah. that's just a question you have to answer for yourself in your own life. Like, yeah. how no. much do I care about the sex? Really interesting, just coming from wine country in the middle of harvest right now, it's like, I see that every day, like whether their winery is a, you know, a tax offset or whether it's an actual, you know, business that they run or whether it's a, you know, you know, what, however it plays out. And I see it in all of, I see it all across the board in all the small wineries in Sonoma and Napa County. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How good of a comparison is wine and cannabis? Uh, it's a bad comparison. Okay. Um, from a business side, it's a bad comparison. From a product side, it's a 50-50 comparison. Yeah. Cannabis goes from uh, 
ter- you know, uh, region, regional basis, and then Kuiper goes into uh, the microbrew style in the sense that it only has a hundred day shelf life. Really, once it's actually like trimmed in, you know, really hundred days, hundred twenty days under perfect conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, from the wine side, I mean, wine, the wine business has one of the worst cash flows I've ever seen. I mean, you put money out. Uh, you wait six years, you know, three, your, your, your grapes can like start producing. If, if, if you're a state, if you're a state, you know, if you're in a state winery, it's like, yeah, you can jump in and like, you know, um, you know, basically get into it by buying grapes and yeah, you yeah, can have yeah. a vintage and yeah. two years later you have a product. But, you know, the only way to make money in the wine industry outside of being a monster conglomerate is uh, is direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's gatekeeping authorities in, in every municipality to, to how and when you can, you know, like in Sonoma County, there's. You know the Sonoma Valley vintners that uh, control. Uh, you have to have had a winery for so long and your vintage for so long before you can actually, you know, get a tasting room. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, people make that comparison to alcohol so often, and I'm like, you know, guys, why do we need a comparison? It's not like the tech industry. It's not like the alcohol industry. It's its own industry. It's just it's the it's the best and worst of all those worlds. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, my friend. That's right. So okay. You're king. You get to be king for the day. What do you do about vaping? Uh, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. You well, for one, you immediately deschedule cannabis completely. Okay. Um, you don't apply. You apply a one percent production tax, and you apply the same excise taxes as alcohol, and call it a day. And how do you keep it away from kids? How do we keep beer away from kids? We don't. I'm just saying, I'm not saying market to them. Don't market to them. Yeah. You know, but it's like, I, I just, you know, I'm tired of cannabis being held to a different standard when it is not a vice that kills people. Yeah. Tobacco kills people. Alcohol kills people. Yeah. Cannabis does not kill people. Yeah. Why are we taxing it more than both of those things? Yeah. It's bonkers. Because ah, it's political, right? That's the only yeah. reason. There's concessions made to get things passed. I, I, It'll get better. These things do improve over time. You know the effective tax rate of $100 bottle of wine? What? 0.25% or something. Wow. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, uh, from a production, from an alcohol side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, that's one thing that's gnarly when you look at cannabis taxes. It's like they did a value-based production tax and that value-based production taxes. And honestly, we can get into the federal thing here in a little bit about it. It's like, you're telling me that, you know, $150 a pound roughly for a, on a, on a production side. It's like, okay, they did that at, a, at 1800 a pound, right? Yeah. That's what they like judged yeah. it on 1800 a pound. And then there's the trim, the whole trim biomass tax. When you look at that tax, they, they, they made an assumption about a pound price that what, that they thought was free market because it was black market. They assumed that it was free market. Well, what was incorrect about that was that it had a it had a risk tax built into it so like a real free market ag product is much much lower so now you're seeing mm-hmm. like you know you, it, it that two that uh that 150 tax can be a very 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 significant amount when you're talking about acres and acres and acres yep. of outdoor cannabis i mean yep. it's just like it hurts and does it feel like the laws were constructed in an effort to keep everything small i think uh, no, I don't. I wouldn't say so. I think that the taxes were done that they thought that they went to the upper limit of what they could take out of the supply chain. And they took that giant heaping handful and it stifled everything. And if they would have taken more of a, hey, let's like, let's maybe like not tax it for three or four years. But is that politically motivated? Is it morally motivated? It's. I think it's a. It's a contractual deal with neighbor with like you know communities, neighborhoods, municipalities. Because otherwise, what's the point? If they're not going to take the tax money, why would they legalize it? 
Yeah. Right. I mean, I can think of a thousand reasons on my end because it's the right thing to do. Because it's right, the right yeah. thing to do. But from internally and internal discussions of go, of local government figures, you know, it's mm-hmm. a different discussion. Yeah. No incentives yeah. run the world, right? Yeah. That's, that's that's the way stuff. Yeah, works. And I, I'd argue like the whole thing with the federal legalization is like the states and localities have taxed it so much that it's like how can the federal government tax it? Mm-hmm. It's taxed so heavily that like, they're already getting, you know, they're- Yeah, there's they're, nothing left. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, and, and you know, cultivation, why like on our investment portfolio, we're, we're, we're deep on cultivation and cultivation brands because it it has the, the most amount of deductions under 280E. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, you know, that's another side of it. I mean, it's like, why would the feds lift, why would they deschedule and lift 280E when that's gonna make it so that they take less tax money? I guarantee they just, it's just a tax that'll, that'll get, it'll be just like a 280E number and it's like at the end of the day, I mean, it just all hurts. It does hurt. Yeah. So it kind of brings up, this was off the list, but it brings up a big question which I've been thinking about recently, which is, is legal cannabis working? No, I'd say no. Um, it's just in its infancy. It could have been done a lot better. That's for sure. Um, I think the reason I say no is that eighty percent of of the California cannabis market is still black market. Eighty percent. Eighty. I thought it was more like sixty, but maybe uh, maybe it's sixty now. Yeah. It was eighty earlier this year, and I think it's gonna it's gonna ebb and flow. But I mean, as you just saw, like uh, I was just reading um, BDS's uh, you know lessons learned right yeah. from from yeah. from the first year of, of California cannabis, and it said you know basically it's in twenty twenty five they they predicted still being fifty fifty. Yeah, it's like are you kidding me? Wow. You know. So let's talk about these firms for a second because look. Roy BDS has been on this show. He, they've done some good work, I think. They're one of the most go-to sources. A lot of people rely on it. There's others, Viridian, Headset's probably the one we're closest to. I like yeah. Sai a lot. Yeah. Um, but I do find that data in this industry is suspect pretty often. I mean, you know, one, uh, one of the things when I was like, uh, when I was in Stat 511 in college, my professor said, there's there's white lies, you know, there's blatant lies, and then there's statistics. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's crazy about it is like, what's the sampling size? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't ever really, you never really get this information. And like, yeah. you know, I think it depends on what d- data you're looking for. And and you know, I know they're very expensive to do customized data reports for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and data has been hard to hard to grasp all, all these years. I mean, it's not something that's easy. So yeah, it's it's difficult. Okay, but the problem, as you pointed out, is that people are making investments, yep, huge dollar amounts, because of based on market sizes put out by the projections of these data sources. Yep, that's like culpable, right? That's like a bad. I don't. I don't think it's culpable because at the end I mean, of the day, if I, I was an investor. No, I'm not talking little money. I'm not yeah, saying you wrote yeah. a $50,000 check. I'm talking about your acreage. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you're big boy. And you've put hundreds of millions of dollars to work. And it's all based on a couple data scientists in a room that have access to like 15% I mean, of POSs okay. in California. Like, so, I mean, that's a very good point. I would say when you get to that level, the, you know, the, you know, if you don't have five data, data scientists on your team doing your own internal to your, to what your standards are and don't understand. I mean, this is why like 
Brandon Kennedy from Tilray is so awesome. And yeah. how I know he's all data driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've just like, you know, I've, I've, I've uh, followed him a lot. And then you look at like, you know, you look at Forefront and Canex and look at the way that those guys operate, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, a, that's, that's an operational data pr- perspective that is extremely uh, effective mm-hmm. from my opinion. Um, but when you come to like who's culpable, I, I think everyone is their own, you know, when you make a decision, it's your own responsibility. Yeah. Um, one thing that I would say though, is that, the real big uh, brokerage houses of, of banks, you know, those, they make money off percentage of fees. Um, so it's, it's a, that's a tricky situation. Absolutely. You know, and I think like we were talking about the other day, you know, it's like everyone wanted to drink the Kool-Aid. I mean, let, let's just put it out there. Canaccord, which is this massive financial company yep. now. Yep. And it was done every IPO, RPO yep. in Canada. And they collect these enormous fees. I don't even know what the fees yeah. are. Maybe you do, but yep. and they don't care if these companies do well. They don't care if the stock rises. What? So, so I'll do they speak, have earnouts? So, Is it structured that way? Like I don't even. So I guess I'll I'll mention it like this because I don't know the details about them specifically, or or really, you know, I uh, won't mention any anything else in that regard on specifics. But I will say that the issue that is at hand is that they they have to remain with with you know with integrity so there when one thing that is nice compared to you know uh when you're raising money and you're doing it on high net worth individuals and you're you know which i think there's all i've seen is almost every high net worth that i've seen come in um has made a bad deal so far Mm -hmm. um whereas the institutional guys are much more thorough much more diligent much more everything so and where do you so, put family office in that landscape um it depends on the family office yeah 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 i mean i couldn't i couldn't place that yeah, but, yeah. but it's like when when an institution puts something in it's a it's a, a different level of diligence that um and i'll go i'll go even further i mean the otc markets are crazy you know what i mean it's like you know the level of of uh diligence that like goes on in an OTC market compared to the TSX or or, or another market, you know, mm-hmm. the big board, it's like, it's, you know, like, I, I guess what I'm saying is like, when you saw what happened with CanTrust, like what, you know what I mean? Like how, you know, in business, there is a mentality of like survive at all costs. But one, one thing you do not survive is, uh, is a breach of compliance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. The SEC is yeah. not something to be. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to mention okay. too vaping because this happened yesterday. Final thought on vaping. Go. One of my friends just lost an investment because he had he has an insane amount. Uh, it's about to launch an, a very very prominent um, sauce brand, and he's. It's just like I, their product's amazing. All this stuff they have, you know, their investor and their investor basically just pulled out um, because of this vape deal. They were like. Your bio, your your essentially your sauce assets are overvalued now, and you're not going to hit your growth. And I'm, you know, I want to renegotiate this, these terms, and it's a dangerous game. Wow. Yeah, and no, I mean, it's like a great friend of mine. Like, totally is you know, when you when you when you mess with the capital access to capital on a business, it's it's dangerous. Sure is. Okay. Um, we talked black market, talked vaping. Um, well, let's go a little deeper into the black market. What what should we do about it? So I've said this, you know, many times, actually. The thing that you are not going to change in the cannabis market 
again, going back to this 1800 pound on taxes, the thing that you are not going to change is the amount of money in your consumer's pocket. You can change everything else throughout the supply chain, but you cannot, you cannot change that. So because of that, the only, you know, cannabis right now gets sold for four reasons. And in this order, price, quality, mm-hmm. relationship, and that's if it's dispensary relationship or whether it's the consumer's relationship to the dispensary, convenience, all those things. Mm-hmm. And then the last brand. And I've been in a lot of meetings recently where people are saying that there is no brands yet because brand implies reliability and years of reliability. You know, I think I really agree with you. Like there are a couple assorted brands that I like, but if I really think hard what I like about them, it's the people that make it. (laughs) Right? Like really. Yeah. So like with the black market, it's like cannabis has to be better or it has to be cheaper, better and more accessible. Mm -hmm. And it has to be all those things in order to win the black market. So if, you tax it to death so that you cannot grow a good, so for one, you tax it to death so it's high priced. You tax it to death so that it's almost impossible to grow a good quality product at a price that your consumers can afford. Then those three things, and then you don't allow dispensaries close to people you know, that are in convenient locations and all you have is you know, two very large delivery services throughout the state that are mids hustlers. You know, it's like, I, you know, it's like, I don't want to buy mids. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. it's a recipe. It's a disaster. It's a recipe for a disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have a prediction? Like, is this going to be curved or no? Um, I don't know about that. I don't know. See, we, we don't have a good comp for it. Alcohol yeah. is a bad comparison. It um, is a bad comparison. Although I would say this. Alcohol, we're, we're a generation of millennials, right? They are impatient. They want results now. We want instant gratification. Alcohol did not, the microbrewery and the micro winery did not even exist until 79 with Jimmy Carter. Yeah. I mean, it was literally like a lot, decades and decades and decades before that was even allowed to happen. And then you didn't even have like the tasting room and the micro microbrewery until like the early 90s, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't even really until the 2000s that it blew up. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of hitting like peak saturation in that world. Yeah. But it's like, because of that, you can't really say we're like we're two years in. Like it just needs to go all federal. It needs to be completely normalized. People need to stop worrying about a cannabis store around the corner because they should be worried about the dude selling jewel behind the counter. And after that, all that normalization occurs, then we'll have a mature market. Mm-hmm. So it could be. That t- seems a long time. Could off. be twenty years. Yeah. No, for real. Could be twenty years. So you brought up jewel. That's a good transition. Jewel and Pax were the same company, split entities to raise money appropriately, go public, not public. Anyway, same company, two smart guys from Stanford, made a boatload of money. Don't take anything away from those guys. Amazing. But they have created a new, in my opinion, very dangerous category, which is nicotine vapes, right? Like this is sort of the divide. And I think a lot of people are confusing cannabis and nicotine vapes. But since this has become more apparent, and even more recently, the Gotham Green Altria Kronos orgy that's happening, people are smartening up to the fact that big tobacco already has a big interest in cannabis. And And it has for a while. It has for a while, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I guess the question is like, 
from an investment standpoint. Because what happened is tobacco saw what everybody else sees, that the cannabis industry is going to be a big thing. Yep. It could be uh, a cannibalizer to their products in some cases. So they said, this is the next thing. We want in, just like beverage companies have done. Alcohol well, companies well, have done. I actually would characterize it a little different than that. I don't think that it's more that they want in. It's actually more that they want to portray a lower risk profile to their existing shareholders. Okay. It's actually more of a hedge than it is anything else. Okay. And granted, their investments in those, those people have their marching orders and their, you know, their jobs to grow those companies and do those things because at the end of the day, it's capitalism, it's shareholder value, mm-hmm. and it, it's shareholder value. So the fact that you know that a tobacco company that may have you know did some very evilish things in the past, you know at the end of the day they're really just hedging their their risk profile. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, and, and and the same you know it wasn't you know it's the same thing I could say for alcohol. Yeah, well, I mean, and look, pharma- we, yeah, and pharmaceutical companies did it. Yeah. Ju- they just were like, sure. don't legalize it. Sure. Um, maybe I'm just too sensitive to the world that is the Bay Area and California and the extremely liberal nature of the cannabis industry specifically. But that doesn't sound wrong to me. Like, the way I look at it is that the the big money in the world is concentrated. And is if it's a good investment, it's a good investment. At some point, if you want the biggest dollars in the world, you're going to the same people. Well, okay, so here's... I'm not making an Illuminati comment. I'm just saying, like... You bring up a very valid point, okay? So when I was raising money the first time, and I was like, okay, one of the things that I've said when a lot of friends and family ask about how much they'd invest, you know, what what stock should I buy? For the record, I don't own any public cannabis, traded cannabis stock. You don't own any? not a single one. Interesting. Part of the reason because a giant institutional bank that transacts a lot of stuff said he'd short them all to death. Okay. And I was like... Any, but there's a, a lot of other reasons why I don't. Okay. Um, uh-huh. Another thing is that, so when I was raising money the first time, and really, as far as when you look at a, 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 a at-risk capital, not secured by real estate, not yeah. secured by patents or you know defendable IP, yeah. but real at-risk capital, operations, yeah. marketing money, right? That money... No, no, I've never met a single person when that, you know, talk, people talk about dumb money coming in. I've never seen a single bit of dumb money come in. Uh-huh. I've never, I've never met it. I don't know if it, I don't think it exists. I think it's, I think it's a joke. I don't believe it. I think it does with a handful of celebrity driven brands. Yeah. I think it exists on retail investors. Yeah. I call that dumb money. Yeah. But when you look at like, you know, for instance, if somebody, if you needed that at-risk capital, it was going to be gone. You were going to spend it. It was going to be gone in a year on operations and marketing. No one should ever invest more than 1% of their net worth on it. Uh-huh. 1% of their net worth is yeah. at, at most, right? Yeah. If you're looking at a real estate base, like a, you know, real, a, and not just like a, you know, overvalued prospector days, ag, pro, ag property in the Central Valley kind of bullshit that's massively overvalued, but something that has multiple uses and, and or you're getting at a good price and it's, you know, you can find the comps and it's valuable what it is, you know, then maybe an, maybe an individual investor or, or portfolio maybe would go five to 8% of their, yeah. of their, of their total, their total pool for that. So when you look at like the world of wealth, it's like, okay, so I want a million dollars for marketing and operations. Well, then I'm only looking at people with a net net worth of a hundred million plus. Mm-hmm. 
right? And there's not that, and that's kind of thing. There's like, it is like a pyramid in the sense that there's not that many people with a hundred million plus, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it it goes up like that. Say you're trying to raise a hundred million dollars. I mean, it just, and you're pooling it between all those, you know, very limited group, a very limited group. So you, so you're at the end of the day, you are within those circles Mm -hmm. and you're not, and it's hard, you know, that's just kind of, Okay, so that answers the question of why the cannabis industry, particularly in the Bay Area, is up in arms about this Gotham Green, Kronos, Altria connection. I would say Um, the main reason that they are up in arms is because the, the existing cannabis industry has a very strong activist, you know, um, warrior standpoint, and they, in a lot of ways, are want to change the system. And, um, you know, a big adage of the, you know, the saying, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's a, a real part of this. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like it's capitalism and you're going to play, you know, by the loose set of rules that exist within it. Mm-hmm. And to expect others to play within your moral, moral hierarchy yeah. is, 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 you know, believing in ghosts. I think that's a really good point. I also would argue that there's a more positive way to look at this. This is big tobacco companies accepting and welcoming cannabis. Oh yeah. To the world stage. Yeah. Yeah, they're not shunning it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, I actually heard this and I, I can't back the statement up, but since this is editorial, I heard a few years ago, this is about four years ago, when I was I had um, property in Mendocino County, and I'd heard that that uh a very large tobacco group had bought like 5,000 acres in Anderson Valley. And the reason they did was because you don't fight, you know, it's a, it's an isolated aquifer. And so you're not fighting with senior water rights in the central Valley, which is one of the main issues with the senior, with the, with the, uh, the central Valley. And I was like, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, they're making a hundred year play. You know, that's what it is. I mean, they're, they're pumping yeah. shareholder value out, out past, you know, the, the day, you know, everyone, you know, we look at the markets and it's like people live quarter to quarter and it's like, you know, the reality is there's much longer plays to be made and they're mm-hmm. making them. And so mm-hmm. it is a very, uh, you make a very valid point about them accepting it and knowing that there is this massive value in it. Okay, so you're king again and you have all the money in the world. You can invest in whatever you want. Is any investment that makes money a good investment? No. Um, the reason being is that how much risk was involved in that in to make that. I think one of the biggest things when I go around and I, and I do consulting or I'm involved in um, different projects, I just got brought into another project with about three partners and it's like, okay, so you have three shareholders, you know, and you have, you have three shareholders and about five stakeholders. And I'm kind of, you know, it's, it's a very interesting point because you have to look at making sure that all stakeholders have their needs met. Mm-hmm. And then you have to make sure that you're meeting within the risk profile, the shareholders returns. Yeah. That, yeah. that they need to see, yeah. you know, so that, and so it's like, it doesn't matter if it's profitable in, in a year that's, you know, or five years or, you know, there's all these different, I, I think one of the things I like to see and, and, and really look at cannabis more of is that when you're doing your, you know, when you're really working, um, on your whole long-term strategy is really looking at internal rate of returns and looking at that more of the internal partnership that, that exists within the business. Mm-hmm. Do it's a tough question to answer. I think that you'll know you'll. I think I know how you'll answer, but do cannabis people have a moral obligation to 
make sure their shareholders and board members are morally sound? Like, should they be welcoming this big tobacco question? So that is an interesting question. Um, I would say yes, and I would say yes for the wrong reason. I'm going to say yes because you don't want to see a negative press that can hurt your ability to raise money. You can hurt your valuation or hurt your stock price because you have a negative backlash of press due to uh, a certain individual and being tried in the court of public opinion is real um, and you don't really want to you know you're guilty by association mm-hmm. and and that's the kind of thing where um, even if folks are not having control or they don't have board control or they're a silent investor or these other things I mean you have to be very careful um. You know who wasn't particularly careful was uh, Brucey of right. Canopy Growth. Right. This will be our final topic. We'll get out of here. It'll be it's a little comical, um, but we were speculating I think, a couple episodes ago what um, what Bruce was going to do next. Yeah. And it seems that Bruce took a very large vacation and had a very nice summer while everybody else um, lost a lot of money. Yep. What do you say to old Brucey? How do you feel about that? You know, I think it was funny because some. I think somebody said um, that he uh, they viewed him and still because his you know his job was to raise capital, right? Um, and he made a lot of money, a lot of people, a lot of money. Well, you know, but people held on too long, or people took too big of a positions, and you know they got in when it was too high, or whatever whatever reason that they're uh, they're down. But at the end of the day, when someone said he was the best CEO, I said was <laughs> was. No longer now was because the reality is, is that there's many types of CEOs and many types of uh, things that they can do. And he was uh, he sold a story, you know, stories sell, facts tell. And, you know, unfortunately, the story told and now a real, you know, uh, a real operational uh, group, you know, CEO has to come in and, you know, turn it around. And there's and there's amazing opportunity for that. But see, I think what outsiders don't understand but that means we're insiders, by yeah, the way. Okay. I just made that comment. All right. <laughs> um, is that this is very common in companies that the guy that starts it rarely is the right guy to scale it. Oh yeah, there's that's like, how startups work. There's like four CEOs to a given. You know, you know yeah. Exactly. There's like there's like an idea guy. Yeah. There's a there's a promoter, and you know then yeah. there's a seller, yeah. and then there's a maintainer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and for whatever reason in our society, we really value the zero to one guy. Yeah. Which like is fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's cool. But like the other three guys matter a lot too. Yeah. You know, I, I think it would suck to be the maintainer. Like mm-hmm. and like in a, you know, a, basically a company that's, you know, growing at, at inflation rate growth, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like that guy has to, his job is like, don't fuck it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's not a good job I want. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. But I think that depends on your personality. Some people yeah. are really good at that kind of like PR management bullshit. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm no, unfiltered. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah I know. Yeah. I'm scared how this episode's going to turn out. You know? <laughs> Dude, it's going to be great. It's been great. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. I think we hit all the topics. Anything you want to promote, give you a second to plug whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> um, you know, I guess uh, not really. Um, Any messages? Like, have you seen Jesus and Miro? You know no, that show? No. Okay. Well, on Jesus and Miro, it's like a late night talk show. They do this thing of what would your neon sign yeah. that went above your bodega, what yeah. would it say? And it, Yeah. I think it, it would say that 
investors have forgotten the core cannabis users and it would behoove their their capital to recognize that is a really long neon sign but i love that and that makes a lot of sense i think the current cannabis consumer is a way bigger percentage of future cannabis consumers than anyone realizes. Oh, yeah. I mean, just like I know I mentioned this to you guys before. It's like, you know, you got the guy that's buying an, a $60 eighth every week and it's like, OK, wholesale, it's 18. Right. And it's like so you're you're literally every week you're getting, you know, you know, you're, you're getting, you know, $72 from him. So that's really, oh, you know, every month. I mean, every that's month. really interesting, though. I'd love to see the lifetime value of a cannabis consumer. Oh, like so I have, I've, got, oh, they, I've got it built. You do? Oh, you yeah. Oh, massively. Because then you look at like a, you know, look at an edible. Well, you don't consumer. have to share. Yeah, but like, look, look at like a, you know, a five milligram, you know, edible, low dose edible consumer. Their monthly value as a consumer is less than $6. Wow. And compared to a hard, you know, a diehard yeah. cultivated yeah. You know, he wants the best quality anything indoor. That guy's $72. Yeah. Six for 72 Or like some of these dab heads that are like yeah. $100 grams. Like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Turp hounds. I call them turp hounds. Because mm-hmm. they really, the real dedicated, massively dedicated consumer does not care actually whether it's dabs or flowers. They're a turp hound. They're all just about the turps. And at the end of the day, they get, you know, a better refinement, more commonly accessible via dabs but they if the flowers are good enough they'll smoke the flowers too um yeah, yeah. me too oh yeah are you a turp hound yeah you, you put yourself in that oh, category yeah. yeah let's make some t-shirts or something That's, yeah is that a thing or you just say no the, no it's a thing okay. and it's 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 a you know it's just a slang word and then there's also like a lot of people that believe you know in the turp belts which is where like different you know uh different environmental conditions within california that produce higher terpene layers in sauce based on production this is why we wanted you on this show man you you sandbagged at the beginning and i'm telling you you are one of the most knowledgeable people i know in the industry um and yeah thanks for being here yeah thank you guys awesome see you guys thanks for coming later (laughs) probably eight people watch that one dope man thank you Did you have a good time? Yeah. I feel uh, I feel like I... Well, we didn't do the presidential election thing, but yeah. it was going pretty long, I felt yeah. like. So. so what you should do talk about with the presidential election, and this is what I, I was going to talk about that when I was we thinking We can still do it if you, you want. share the story? Yeah, and also save it. I think in the top right, you can save it. Did it save? Let's save it. Cool. Um, we can still do that segment. It doesn't matter. We're yeah, going to put it yeah, on the yeah. podcast. 18 so. yeah. total viewers. Sweet. What do um, they have to say? Did they talk shit? Uh, mostly it was me talking to them and not getting much of a response. But some response around BDS, actually. Interesting. Someone, whoever was at Top Tender, said, um, when your tech guys talking about BDS, is their like, report's actually good. And I was like, uh, they're decent. You know, talk to us offline and we'll... Top, top tender, you know who top tender yeah. is, yeah, yeah. Um, I just I'm trying to show engagement. Too. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Um, okay, let's keep going. We're still recording, right? All right. Uh, so the presidential election thing. Oh, let me set let me set it up. Let me set it up. Yeah. That'll sound better. Um, let's see. Um, so speaking of being king, uh, we have a king right now, but hopefully we're going to get the king out of office soon. 
I don't know where you stand in your politics, but I think everybody's pretty anti-Trump at this point. But we are going to actually elect a president, even though he doesn't act like one. Yeah. And um, I wonder what this means for cannabis as a whole. Obviously, most Democrats are supportive, but there is a little more nuance there. Are you? Does that issue matter for you, for starters? So uh, I'm what what kind of uh, I would refer to myself as a single single issue voter. Okay. And when what's that single issue? Civil liberty. Right. So what I mean by that is that like in the sense that what's going to happen with this presidential election. I think we got to look where cannabis is. Here's what's gnarly about it. And I, and cannabis, you know, we all live and breathe it, smoke it, you know, work it like every, that's what, what we do. Right. So it's really important to us. The reality is that it's actually not that important to everyone else. I mean, that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, like what is the global, the United States market is supposed to be 58 billion is projections. Right. Okay. If you can trust any of them. Yeah. If you can trust any of the data. Yeah. So it, well, what's what's our GDP? What's the United States GDP? Like thirteen trillion or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, so what, you know, what, and that's and that's sales. Granted, there's a, there's a you know higher uh, you know economic impact. Call it a you know call it a five x economic impact. So at the end of the day, you know, what is what is what what is the total amount of GDP? I mean, it's tiny. It's you know, tiny. when you look at the average person that cares about you know their retirement, their health care, their job, their kids their school cannabis just really isn't that important yeah so like the problem is that like we care about it and there may be a little talking point or a sound bite like with politics and the president election it's like so far down the yeah. list of importance i didn't even hear people ask about it yeah they barely yeah they, yeah. they barely ask about it. i think most americans are just like yeah weed's gonna happen i think the dangerous part about weed in black market i'll say this on the presidential side is that because and this is the dangerous part of california too because it was so common where like everybody's got weed everyone's got a plant in the backyard you know less people are getting arrested for it like the average person, the average like suburban white dude voting like or whatever doesn't care about it because they're like, well, if you want weed, you can just get it anyway. Mm-hmm. So what if it's black market and there's mm-hmm. no taxes mm-hmm. on it? So what if the guy, you know, the guy in the inner city is getting arrested for it? Like, whatever, you can smoke weed if you want to smoke weed. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but that's not the point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like that's another problem where it just is not, it's not, um, unfortunately, it's not a big enough issue to turn uh, to, to be something that actually affects the election, from my opinion. Mm-hmm. I actually think that the states that have legalized cannabis are the biggest barrier to it becoming federally legal because those are the guys that would have been pushing to make it federally legal. And now that it's legal in their state, like, I don't think most Californians care. Right? They're yeah, like, yeah, hey, we live in California. I it's mean, great. it's, you know, it just it, it sucks because the reality is, like, we, we have a, a democratic republic, right? You know, you know, it's like it's a people's republic. Yeah, people's republic. So like, you know, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's we expect our leaders to have our best interest at heart, and unfortunately, they have the they have shareholder value, not the citizen's shareholder uh-huh. value uh-huh. at heart. And unfortunately, cannabis business shareholder is not that important to them. It's so so far down. Yeah, it's so far down. So basically, does it matter at all whether Trump wins or whoever? To cannabis? Yeah. Um, I, I think it does. Um, I think, I think, I think it does just simply because if we, if Trump, go, if, I guess what I could see happening with Trump is I could see him being so selfish 
that he would use cannabis as this weird pawn. His last he, gas. Yeah, like, yeah. like just some like one thing I'll say too is like every single person that's anti-cannabis will be pro-cannabis at some point. And the reason they will be is because either or they'll they, die. Or, yeah, it's because either they will get cancer or their wife will get cancer or their or their brother will get cancer. I mean 73% of people like it, it's like it, it's just and as soon as that happens, all of a sudden, it's like 50 years of being a fucking idiot shithead against cannabis. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, it's medically good now. Let me go ahead and pop on a board seat and fucking collect 100 mil. Like, that shit pisses me off. You talking about Boehner? I'm talking about, I'm talking about any elected, any, any, any asshole like that. Got it. You know? <laughs> so, no, it doesn't matter who gets elected. But I do kind of agree with you. I think Trump might try to make it pull in. Some liberals, yeah. some young people by legalizing weed. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Or maybe just tell us he's going to and Mexico's going to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I also say that the big problem that I see with, with the Democratic candidates on their positions on cannabis is that, and we watched this with Oakland and we've watched this with, with, with San Francisco. When you attempt to control a market in any way, shape, or form in the shape that business is done, you will fail. I mean, if you look at, you know, like when you look at a tax and tax issue, all it means is that the attorneys and the accountants are going to find a way to weasel around it. And the people that can afford the best and the smartest accountants and attorneys will be the ones that get to participate and reap those rewards. Mm-hmm. So it's like in the sense that they like, you know, California, like wanted a good example of and I could see this being a federal issue, too, is like they wanted you know, they wanted, uh, you know, people, the small farmer to be able to survive. It's like, okay, well, you wanted to do that, but you couldn't, you know, limit CEQA or these other things. Mm-hmm. So, like, what is, so then at the end of the day, it's like, you know, yeah, I said, like, how do you participate in California? It's like, you know, have a million, have millions and millions of dollars or, you know, don't not have millions and millions of dollars because mm-hmm. the reality is you probably need, you know, if you want to run a cannabis business within California, you're going to need at least $10 million, you know, on, on and it's like, so at the end of the day, it wasn't it wasn't the license cap or a social equity program or or something else. It was the local use permitting and the real estate cost and the environmental concerns and all the things that you can't change with one swipe of a of a you know of your signature on a on a ballot ballot thing for a you know proposition. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here, man. It was awesome. Yep. Great times. You are one of the best minds I think we have in the industry really like when Eric and I have a question we're like hey let's ask I'm gonna miss you guys being so close yeah (laughs) LA is gonna be a great show for the move uh, for the move for the show I don't think I've said that anywhere on the podcast yet but yeah IC's moving to LA so if you wanna be on the show if you wanna have somebody you think should be on the show if you wanna sponsor the show we got a couple good ones on the works I'll have to find a reason to be down there yeah Dude, come. Yeah. Come Although you guys us. are going to miss that all the best weed is in Northern California. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, dog. No. You can have your, you can have your salt farm and Rockwell, Rockwell weed down there. You know I'm just saying? <laughs> I can never stop talking shit. All right. Gladly. <laughs>